0: Good luck with the restaurant. You know that place is cursed, right?
1: I'm going to beat that curse, but I'll need you to get on top of us.
0: Secret Cinema, a podcast for film, lovers, and film lovers. My name is Paolo Carone. my co-host is Carrie Chafee, and today we'll be discussing Mia Vardalos' 2009 romantic comedy, I Hate Valentine's Day. I don't have any notes, so here's Carrie with the plot summary.
2: Genevieve is a pretty lucky gal. She owns and operates a flower shop, she works with her best friends, and she has created a personal dating guideline that works every time. Well, almost every time, until she meets Greg, a local restaurant tour, who Genevieve thinks is the tapas. As her luck runs out, is Genevieve willing to bend her dating rules for love? Our
0: protagonist, Genevieve, played by Nia Vardalos, not only lives by the five-date rule, but proudly advocates for it as a guaranteed route to happiness. We'll get into those five rules in the episode, but in this clip from early in the film, we hear the logic behind them. Here's that clip.
1: You're not gonna say that thing that women always say, which is I haven't found the right one yet.
3: No. I don't believe there's just one person. What? I don't believe people are meant to be in relationships. What? Yeah, we should just have fun. And when the romance is gone, move on.
1: Well, how long does that last?
3: Five dates, to be exact.
1: That is exact.
3: Five dates happens to be the perfect amount of time to achieve maximum fun with no pain. No expectation equals no disappointment. It's just fun, and there are no rules.
1: No rules?
3: No rules. And you know what? In relationships, that's all there are. You know, one person wants more, the other person wants less, and then they act out, cheat, oh, come back, stay out of guilt. Oops, now someone's pregnant, all of a sudden you're married and hate each other. Dating is just so much more romantic.
1: So you love romance, but not relationships?
3: Well, what's to love about something that only brings unhappiness?
1: It's just, it's not natural.
3: Do you know any happy couples?
1: All the time? No, but...
3: I am happy all the time.
0: Genevieve's love interest, Greg, played by John Corbett, is a restaurateur, but more importantly, he's a man. In this clip, we hear Greg's romantic woes during a conversation with his terrible best friend, Cal. For some visual context, Greg and Cal are sitting right next to each other in an empty, unfinished restaurant, and Cal is both texting and has a Bluetooth on through this whole conversation.
1: Here's that clip yeah, Greg. Happy V-Day, buddy. Wow. Look at this place. Big mistake. Oh, where are we taking it tonight? Oh, what was with that? For setting me up with a flight attendant. Yeah, it's gonna meet some flight attendants. Just got dumped by one. One what? A flight attendant, the one you set me up with. How'd that go? Do you ever listen? Well, then I'd have to hear you, buddy. She said my actions let her know that we weren't exclusive. I thought we were exclusive. So? So it's my fault, once again, for not understanding the game. No, there's no game tonight.
0: When Genevieve and Greg get together, sparks fly. Or, at least that's what the film wants us to believe. In this clip, which I want to emphasize that I did not mess with, we hear a conversation from their second date. Now remember that their chemistry is supposed to be so amazing that dates like this make Genevieve lose faith in her quote unquote foolproof dating system. Here's that clip and we'll see you on the other side for our discussion of I Hate Valentine's Day.
3: On date number two, we do the requisite trading of familial background information.
1: Um, a sister, two parents, all close.
3: Okay. No siblings, parents divorced, not close to my father. Why not? My dad cheated.
1: Oh, that must have been hard.
3: Well, I plan to get over it one day.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's good to let that seething anger fester for a long time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, changing the subject, you owe me something private back.
1: Oh. Uh, Jeez. Oh, one time I heard my parents. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Uh-uh. Couldn't look him in the eye until I was in college. Hey, mom. Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Weird. (laughs) This is a fun date. Hey,
2: everyone. Welcome to Secret Cinema. Paolo and I are here alone to talk about the marvelous movie I Hate Valentine's Day which is written and directed by Nia Vardalos, and we... Who did
0: uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and... what
2: I think that's it. All right. <laughs> no, there's another movie called My Life in Ruins.
0: Oh, and Connie and Carla. But basically enough, the only one that anyone has any reasonable expectation of knowing is... Uh, Big Fat Greek Wedding.
2: Which she got an Oscar nomination for, for Best Adapted Screenplay.
0: And at the time it came out, it was the most successful independent film of all time.
2: Yeah, I think I read that it got over $240 million. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah. So we decided to talk about this movie, uh, just the two of us, for a couple reasons. One is we uh, are a couple, in case uh, you're listening and you (laughs) did not know that. And we make movies together, and we obviously talk about movies together as well, so we thought, what better movie to talk about than a romantic comedy from a filmmaker who has her husband star in her movies, uh, occasionally. And then another reason we wanted to watch uh, and talk about it is because uh, we had already watched it once, and it was such a mesmerizing mess that... We knew we needed to talk about it again.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you have heard of this movie, then you've most likely heard of its reputation, which is that it is, um, well, obviously it's very bad, but it almost has like this sort of insanity to it and um, very much insanity that centers around its writer and director and star. The movie doesn't seem aware of it, but it's kind of unavoidable. When you watch the movie, you feel like, like I, I made this point a lot while we were watching it to Carrie and I'm going to make this point further in the episode, but this comes very close at times to the room for women and uh, (laughs) in a very, in a way where you like can see like someone's personal beliefs being like turned into this like. Insane carnival of <laughs> incorrect it's emotions. It's such a
2: it's such a vanity project. Yeah, she uh, Nia Vardalos. So before we even dive into what the film is, we need to get just a quick summary out of the way. So this movie is about Nia Vardalos being awesome, and everyone loves her, and she's great, and she believes in romance, but not love, and so she has a five date rule. And then she just lets it end. So whoever she dates, she dates them five times, and then it's over. And then she gets to move on to the next person, and she only experiences the good stuff, and that's that's what her character believes. Which is crazy! That's crazy! I mean, in any, any world, that's crazy. Where after five dates, you're like, Bye, I'll never talk to you again. I hope you have a great life. Even if we connected more than five dates, oh well, don't care. Yeah, we're going to
0: have to get into, we'll get into it more with the illogic behind it, but at very least, the five dates thing doesn't actually seem to have any relatable real world uh, equivalent. Like, it does, I
2: wonder how she came up with that.
0: Yeah, it, just, it seems so arbitrary. Uh, nothing. The way in which the movie plays out, it doesn't even seem to like accurately reflect reflect it it doesn't serve story structure uh certainly this <laughs> one is is like very loose um yeah it's just well okay let's kind of i want to also point out because this movie's called i hate valentine's day nia vardalos works she,
2: she's a florist what
0: and what's her name the flower shop uh i don't
2: know i don't remember what the flower shop is named but her name is genevieve
0: okay uh, yeah, And she
2: has two co-workers. I think she owns the shop, and then she has two co-workers. And I don't think their names are ever said in the movie, but she refers to them as oops and uh-oh, and they're both implied to be gay.
0: <laughs> they're like, yeah, they're seemingly... I mean, there's a couple scenes towards the end where they're in group scenes, but for the most part, they have no life other than to be like, a Greek chorus-slash-moral support system for Neo-Vardalos. But, okay, not even moral support, because that suggests that she lives in any other reality than the one in which everyone loves her... That Greek chorus
2: is kind of a perfect description, because I w- when she referred to them as oops and uh-oh, I kept thinking about Hercules, how, yeah. the, how <laughs> Hades henchmen are called pain and panic. Yeah, well, they're very
0: much like cartoon <laughs> henchmen. They don't really serve any function other than to be like... I want well okay. They don't. Serve, they talk about. They their, don't serve the function of comic relief. But well, that's yeah, their they have purpose. no character
2: development. Yeah, name a characteristic of either of them. They're gay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's it.
2: <laughs> and one of them has eyebrows because they talk about his eyebrows like eight times in the movie. Yeah, but that's that's pretty much it. But the movie starts off. First of all, I I have a big problem with bad credits. There's a lot of movies that just don't even try when they open a movie.
0: And and we just did Rat Race, too. So it's, like, really fresh on my mind, bad credit sequences. But, yeah. This movie
2: is just text credits, like, two colors. The credits are white and the background is red. Because I hate Valentine's Day, I guess. And it's some... a serif font that's really bland. It's not even a font that takes up most of the title screen. It's, like, centered at the bottom of the title screen. (laughs) So you have to look at... It's almost like you're reading subtitles to look at the titles. And then it transitions away from the titles to Nia Vardalos walking down the street, and a random pastry chef says, Hey, I like your short skirt. And she says, Hey, I like your buns and we're
0: off. Well, and that's, like, the first line of the movie, right? First line. Well,
2: there's that guy who almost
0: gets hit by the car and, like, is like, hey, but... who who's, th- that's
2: intersplaced with the bad credits.
0: Well, I know, but that happens first. That's technically the first line, but that first line that I'm thinking of, that's not a character who's in the movie. It's no. not a thing that matters. It has nothing to do with anything. It's just the, the movie inexplicably starts with an extra, like, almost getting hit by a car. Something that has... Yeah, it just doesn't pay off. It just... It's sloppy. This movie is really sloppy.
2: And as Paulo pointed out when we were watching it, this movie has two editors and three writers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> three writers! Yeah. Oof.
0: Yeah, this movie, you probably could loosely say it follows a three-act structure, but it meanders so much, and it seems like the last 40 minutes of the movie could be like five minutes long for... How how repetitive and obvious where it's going seems to be. Uh but yeah, it's, it took a lot of people to cram all this shit in one box.
2: We you know we should have watched my big fat Greek wedding so you could have had some frame of reference. To I that. got
0: to the point where the guy had like the the, the Windex and he like sprayed it in his mouth or whatever, and that's <laughs> when I was done. I like couldn't get past that point. <laughs>
2: I remember I really liking it, but the more I revisit it, the more I'm like, oh, right, this is just a hokey rom-com. And I think that that's the real problem with this movie, is it plays into every rom-com trope. And it's not... The the thing I don't understand about rom-coms is they haven't evolved to be more realistic. If anything, they're just less and less realistic and more surreal. Like, they don't mimic real life. I and mean, I know that's kind of the whole point, is like, Oh, romance isn't necessarily a real life concept or whatever. But in this movie, at the, I mean, oh, I,
0: oh. Well, okay. The thing <laughs> with this kind of romantic comedy is it's pushing it to the same extent of, like, men's terrible point of views about relationships. Where it's just, yeah, like, this so equally... far to the other side, where it's, it just somehow is, um, I guess in, like, um, I, I, I can't think of an example of a male romantic comedy. It would be something like Knocked Up, I guess. But I guess, yeah. it's the same era. Actually, or this
2: 40-year-old virgin. And
0: actually, this movie references 40-year-old virgin right. at one point. Uh, someone describes Nia Vardalos, who... Yeah. Nia Vardalos looks fine. She looks beautiful. She looks great. She looks like a normal woman. She Someone lost... describes her as Steve Carell's chest in 40-year-old virgin. She lost,
2: like, 40 pounds to be in this movie. She looks great. If
0: anything, she looks, like, scarily thin at times. But it doesn't... That's not necessarily that she looks anorexic. It looks like she is so... She looks so tense and crazy during her scenes that you can see, like, the tendons in her neck when she's talking and staring. And it just... She, well, and so, she
2: only smiles during this movie. Yeah,
0: she. I compared it to Elizabeth Mitchell in Frequency, where she has that sort of, like, vacant, idiotic grin <laughs> at all times. Darren and,
2: headlights, And
0: where it's, like, scenes where it's, like, I'm sorry, I, I, we keep tangenting out of everything, this, but... This
2: movie is equally offensive for men and women. Yeah. Fem- or femininity and masculinity, every, every aspect of culture will be offended by something in this movie. Yeah. It's not as bad as, um... What was that other movie that we watched that was pretty gender offensive?
0: <laughs> that one
2: movie? <laughs> Alright, just edit this part <laughs> Alright.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't even think of what you're referring but to.
2: But it, it makes the assumption several times throughout the movie that John Corbett is stupid because he's a man. And he does stupid <laughs> things because this he's There's even
0: not- the conversation where... Yeah, time-
2: he says... I wrote it down. He says, we're guys. It's an expected thing for us to be stupid.
0: Well, John Corbett doesn't say it, but his best friend does, and that leads John Corbett to be like, you're right, I can do something stupid instead of something emotionally honest and cue the the resolution of the
2: plot. And it it, it makes men uh, look stupid because they always wait until the last minute to buy flowers on Valentine's Day, and they don't know what to do on dates, like John Corbett... Basically tells Nia Vardalos that he wants to date her, which, oh, we haven't talked about John Corbett at all.
0: Yeah, actually, we can, we kind of need to like set up something more, because we're just really tangent.
2: Well, then let's rewind okay. <laughs> and talk about John Corbett. So, Nia Vardalos runs the flower shop, and as soon as we meet her and her two gay best friends who work in the flower shop, John Corbett happens to wander into a flower shop, and he then spends about 30 seconds explaining his whole life story about how he was a lawyer. But he decided to quit that and open a tapas restaurant. And the tapas restaurant that he decides to open is called Get On Tapas. And he tries to make that joke work three or four times in the movie.
0: Well, the movie tries to make that joke work. Yeah. It just is, it's it's as funny, basically the... It's just like, hey, my restaurant's called Get on Tapas, and then there's like usually cuts to people not reacting to it. That's the joke, and that joke probably happens four or five times in the movie. But in this first scene, when John Corbett uh, comes in to buy flowers and um, this with this girl who is a flight attendant, we never meet her. It's just like something that's vaguely She's referred to as an excuse for them to to meet, but. He's saying, like, well, I'm not really sure how Valentine's Day works. And he said, when I lived in Atlanta... Uh, Atlanta rules were basically, like, if a girl sleeps over, she's your girlfriend. And they're like, well, how long have you and your girlfriend been together? And he's like, well, about two months. And he's like, yeah, you're dating. And it's like, that's that's how dumb men are about dating this <laughs> It's just like, like... And he didn't
2: know what to get her for Valentine's Day. Yeah. But he was in a flower shop.
0: And it's the day before Valentine's Day, and they... Oh,
2: and then he leaves the flower shop, and the two guys are like... Oh, she's the flight attendant? She's definitely cheating on him. Which, what? How did they make that jump? I guess is that like a, a stereotype about flight attendants?
0: I guess. I mean, they can go anywhere. But I don't... Sh- I didn't mean that as a joke. <laughs> but.
2: And then... Oh, I found this out when I was doing some trivia hunting, but um, do you know who John Corbett's real-life live-in girlfriend is? No. Bo Derek. Weird. Right? Yeah. I think she's older than him, but they make a cute couple.
0: I also thought about this movie when John Corbett played uh, a really shitty boyfriend in Volcano, if you remember that. Yeah. Uh, and like,
2: he's the really shitty boyfriend in Serendipity.
0: Yeah, you're right.
2: He he's the guy who plays the oboe.
0: But Nia Vardalos <laughs> was the one who was like decided to like reclaim him as like a good, lovable man.
2: Well, I think Sex in the City did that for Okay, that too. Ugh, Aiden. He's the best boyfriend that Sarah Jessica Parker has on that show. I'll
0: trust you. I don't know. You
2: should trust me. He also makes furniture, which makes him even more sexy. Okay. Well,
0: and was the all the reference to antiques in this movie then like a reference to that?
2: Oh, maybe.
0: There's this like runner where Nia Vardalos, her character, hates antiques because she can't stop thinking about the dead people who used to own them, and yeah. there's like specific reference to like this antique stool. That they keep talking about. But even at one point, she's having dinner with John Corbett, and he has, a like, a teapot. That's an antique teapot. And she, like, makes this face like she's freaked out by it and, like, pushes it away from her. That's really it. That's, like, the full extent of that runner. This is everything I she thought.
2: makes a lot of declarative statements where it seems like she's speaking on behalf of all womankind.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: But the, the antique thing was definitely one... Um, she talks about relationships in a way where it seems like she thinks every woman can relate to it. Like, like um, I don't believe in long term relationships; they're just a fantasy. Uh, this is the good part where we anticipate what each other will do next. It's like,
0: well, okay, and that's that's really what makes this movie so narcissistic on her on her part is she is this character who does make these declarative statements that are pretty blatantly ridiculous and everybody in the universe of the movie loves her and not just loves her but considers her an expert on this subject matter even though for us in the audience everything she's saying is blatantly ridiculous like you to agree with her you have to agree with this idea that like having five dates with a person and never seeing them again is the best way to do (laughs) romance.
2: The smartest idea of dating ever.
0: The completely closing yourself off, which again, like she's a person that all these people love and her strategy for romance is completely closing herself off, which all of her close friends totally are fine with.
2: (laughs) Oh, and we should say her close friends include Judah Freelander, uh, Rachel. Rachel Dratch, Jason Manzoukas. No beard. Yeah, no beard. He looked pretty young. Yeah. And Zoe Kazan.
0: And Zoe Kazan, Zoe Kazan, uh, her character is, we couldn't figure this out because she's, she's younger than all of the Neovardalos and all of her friends for the most part to a significant degree. Like she's and she's also like,
2: not one of the improv people.
0: No, she's, she's like 15 years younger and is just, it, yeah, she's just someone who like is friends with Neovardalos, uh, I guess is like a protege, but she doesn't work with, her and she doesn't really seem to have anything in common with her because they don't actually have conversations about anything other than uh, dating. dating stuff. And so, but Zoe Kazan has this like mini arc, or at least like a joke that pays off eventually, which is that when she goes on dates before she goes to the first date, she, she cyber stalks. The person she wants to, she's going on a date with, and gets a bunch of pictures of them and prints them out and then makes a collage of their face and then brings it to the date. And this is why all of her dates fail. Which, first of all, okay, um, clearly is the type of. Zoe Kazan is is very attractive. And so it'd have to be something like that to make this character who she is. She kind of looks who's like. Who's like the most. Uh, Most attractive character in the entire movie.
2: Yeah, she kind of looks like... I wrote wrote down, she kind of looks like uh, Ellie Kemper and M.G. Poots had a baby. Yeah.
0: (laughs) The love child of those (laughs) two. But on top of that, it's the only thing in the whole movie that comparatively makes Nia Vardalos' character seem sane. Because... She's, she had to
2: have a crazier character than herself.
0: Yeah, it's like, well, yeah, she has these in, these rules, but at least she isn't like printing out <laughs> collages of people's faces and presenting them to him. The first, she's thing not she's.
2: alienating the guy on the first date. Yeah, <laughs> which which uh, yeah. it's only on the fifth date that she alienates. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and it, and it really presumes so much. It presumes that every guy would be cool with Neobard Dallas's deal because they're like, oh, cool, that means I just get to fuck you. Uh, and that's that's all that matters. But it clearly is so much, it, when we really see it, when we see when Jen Corbett goes through it, but even when she explains it to other people, it's very much the set of rules where, yeah, the guy has to be, is expected to do certain things on certain days, and the dates have expectations, and the guy is supposed to meet those, and apparently, based on the system, every guy always seems to meet these expectations for her, because she never has problems where it's like, yeah, well, some guys don't like the system, and it collapses before, it's like it always seems to go to five dates, and it works perfectly for her every time. Which makes absolutely no sense. But also, guys are super <laughs> into it. Yeah, and
2: then that, that's the other thing. Is, is She runs into issues with the five-date structure with John Corbett that it seems like she should have run into before. Yeah.
0: The movie presumes that, at least in its universe, all men are stupid.
2: And just want to get laid.
0: But also, all men are totally into her and totally into her extremely restrictive and difficult dating system, especially in a city like New York, where, uh, presumably this is New York. I
2: think it's in New York. Yeah. We, we could it. not figure it
0: out. It could be Toronto. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it just... It,
2: Toronto.
0: <laughs> well, it just, there, there's, there's so maybe many... It,
2: maybe it's Buffalo.
0: Toronto subs for big cities all the time. That's why I say that. But it just, it seems like there's no, there's no reason for this, sh- to get into this mindset where she would have this plan that has worked for a long time, it would have to be in New York where men just, like, could not get with Where there's just no... There's just a drought. And this one super difficult woman was, like, the best possible option.
2: Okay, we should go through the five-date structure. Because okay. at one point, she outlines it to her friends... Rachel Dratch, Judah Friedlander, and Jason Mantzoukas, which and I Zoe was,
0: Kazan is there too. Not,
2: but that was that was another thing I was thinking. And they show
0: Mike Starr. Mike Starr works at the deli that they have all these like friend scenes at, and while she's explaining, he's like. In the background, working, but he's just not really working. He's just like he staring. So he's just like staring at them from the distance in a really the, weird. Shot. His
2: deli serves as like the pizzeria, and do the right thing.
0: Yes, and it, Carrie even confused Mike Starr with Danny hey, Aiello. You <laughs> hey, you can call
2: that?
0: Hey, I'm Italian. I'm allowed to enjoy stuff like that.
2: <laughs> they look very <laughs> they similar. Do.
0: It's like there are no two actors that are more similar than Mike Starr <laughs> and Danny Aiello.
2: I don't know, there's probably like eight people from The Sopranos who look really similar.
0: But they're Italians, yeah. Yeah, they
2: probably, probably Mike Starr was on The Sopranos and I just can't even remember. Returning
0: to my previous statement of Italians are very easy to stereotype.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I was thinking about it, so that's her group of friends that meet at the little deli and they're all improv people, very talented, very funny, smart... I would much rather have watched a movie that any three of those people had written and directed than Nia Vardalos.
0: Well, and that's... What's crazy is you mentioned they're all improv people, and that's exactly what Nia Vardalos is. She's a Second City graduate. Yeah. And... Uh, and so is her husband. So is her husband. Yeah. And I don't know if necessarily all the other... Oh, Rachel Dratch is, is Second City. I'm not sure if Manzucas is. I know he's at least, like, he UCB. Does, yeah, he
2: does um, it
0: in LA. But, yeah, they're improv people. These are, like, skilled comedians, and so... It's it's, like, a shame to watch all of these people and Mike Starr, who's just, like, is hilarious and just really reliable. Uh, he's in, like, Coen Brothers movies and he's in the Ice Harvest. And yeah. I think of him from the Office episode where they think he's the guy who's in the mafia. He's going to, like, <laughs> yeah. murder them if they don't buy his insurance. But oh. he, like, they do the scene with all of them and they just, you're just wasting them. They're just giving them dumb lines. Like, Jason Manzukas when they're talking about how they're giving examples of... Of how each of them are bad at dating and how they need Neo Vardalos' great advice. Jason Manzucas' idea for Valentine's Day is he says, I think I'm going to bake the girl at the newsstand a cake. Like, <laughs> that's like the type of dummies <laughs> that these, car- they, these actors are. Well, he's suck a with.
2: man, so he's stupid. Dumb though. man, yeah.
0: Um, so, <laughs> on top of all that. Um, and then
2: at all the women are stupid because they do things like make scrapbooks yeah. or.
0: But no, uh, I'm just saying. Like, Rachel
2: Dratch, her character says that. She's trying to get the attention of the cute guy on the bus by kicking his seat. Yeah.
0: But what I was trying to say with the improver thing is that Nia Verdalos should be able to do better material than this. Just there was from her no
2: improv in this movie.
0: There probably was. It was just really bad. No. But I, the real issue is, remember everything I was saying about... Um, the vacant grin that she has and she just seems crazy during this and things like that. She is an improv person, a very big part of improv. I did second city and I'm not good at it, but I at least learned stuff from it. And one of the big things is that, um, you start with your character The first thing you start with in Second City is your character. Because I tried countless times to be like, well, I'll start with the gimmick and work my way around. And those scenes are always terrible. The scenes that work in improv are scenes where the character work is so good that the scene kind of just unfolds naturally from the combination of characters. And so watching a person who is... Okay, she wrote the most successful independent film of all time. So automatically that puts her within a reasonable degree of the most successful second city performers of all time. Sure. So the, one of one of the great one of the representatives of the skill set that you get at second city can't write a movie where she is the lead where she has a character that's believable or relatable or the movie and the movie doesn't even seem to clearly realize that it's because it's not about how funny it is the disconnect she has from reality. It doesn't seem to realize until the end that her character has a total disconnect from reality. And so it's like what the fuck what the fuck did she learn <laughs> from Second City? Or did she write great great Big Fat Greek wedding and then forget all this stuff? Or
2: maybe You know, I I wrote that down. I wrote, why did Nia Vardalos write this movie? What was her inspiration? Yeah. Like, did she see a friend doing this five-date structure, and she was like, oh, I could write a movie about that? Or, does she genuinely think Valentine's Day is stupid? Or, does she just have, like, a real boner for rom-coms, and she was like, well, I just gotta write another, and... This is a basic idea I came up with.
0: well I really I really don't want to assume because of how unflattering this would be for her that she wrote it because she like, genuinely thinks of herself as this like person everybody loves and that she like really typifies this like certain kind of stereotypical heroine in a romantic comedy because that's just that's embarrassing i would rather think that she thought this was going to be funny and it just wasn't but like there does seem to be like it really heavily suggests delusion.
2: Wouldn't Other it have part. been great if she had done kind of like an Andy Kaufman type thing where she just committed to being that person for a while yeah. and then later <laughs> was like, psych everybody I'm not <laughs> Yeah.
0: I don't think I don't think she was adept enough to pull off something like that. No. Well and that's that's another thing with this. Is that she wrote it I know mean, she's one of three writers on it but she wrote it they if anything these other people are like she
2: produced and directed it too yeah
0: that's the key thing she directed this and as much as uh, we can lay blame at the feet of the screenplay which we definitely can this movie is atrociously directed it's really bad and again it comes back into what I was saying about second city stuff about like and this and we talked about acting before but this kind of gets into blocking and granted you don't necessarily get to learn how to direct when you're learning how to act at second city but you learn how to like not just stand in one spot spot, and then have another person stand in one spot, and then the camera just cuts back and forth between two people not doing anything. Not moving. <laughs> not moving. Because um, when
2: you have a conversation, you don't move, Carlos Well,
0: and there's there's so many times where, like, John Corbett is talking to Nia Vardalos, and it will cut to Nia, and she is just, like, doing her vacant grin. Just like, and it's like you you set up the shot. Why? What did you? <laughs> what you like? Just cut. You're like, all right, they'll we'll cut to me, it's and I'm probably... doing nothing. And they cut back to. It's like this movie pushes the coolish shot effect to the very, very limits of its use. Uh, for uh, <laughs> for people who don't know, coolish effect, uh, the coolish editing editing uh, is this old like. Russian uh, 1920s film concept of you can basically, just through editing, convey emotion with no emotion being depicted at all. And the example they give is you show a guy's face and then you cut to a piece of bread and then you cut back to that man's face and because of the connection made through editing you're like oh he's hungry he's looking at that bread you just read into his his facial expression and just presume all this and that's like fucking every reaction shot in this movie no one no one is like doing But it stuff. doesn't
2: even do that good no, of a job. No it
0: doesn't cuz it's like it's it's it, like I said it pushes it to its brink because like even still this movie it, what cuts these people? There's so little happening anyway, and there's so little action, so little movement, and so little like there's not like props or things happening really. So it yeah. cuts to people blankly staring. Like even the scene where Nia Vardalos confronts her dad and talks about how like mad he she is at him for cheating on their mother. The dad doesn't say anything; he just like frowns. It just like cuts to him yeah, like, and standing and frowning. His,
2: his first response is. That's really none of your business. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like...
2: <laughs> they haven't spoken for years. Yeah, a and really long time. That's the first thing that he says to her. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> okay, wait. We did not go through the five dates. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Let's go back. Okay, so as a reminder, Nier Bradalos' character, she believes that five dates is enough and then you're done. So... First date, Paula, what what do you do?
0: The first date is breathless flirting. Now, Carrie, what did that equate to in the actual movie?
2: So, Nia and John Corbett, They for their first date, they go to the opening of John Corbett's restaurant, Get on Tapas. Yes.
0: <laughs> and, uh, and
2: I don't think they did any breathless flirting.
0: No, um... I,
2: I mean, think that she, he gave her a flower at some point.
0: I think, yeah, it was just like he invited her to it. and I know at some point during the invitation, he has the exchange where he says to all of her friends, "I'm gonna beat that curse, but I'll need you to get on top <laughs> So uh, that, uh, that happens, but yeah, there's no like flirting I and mean, there's there's flirting before it. and I guess really, by her own definition, the breathless flirting part was the part before he even asked her out on the date. But that's, it's already slopping up, so that's, yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay, so second date. Second date,
0: when she is giving the list, she says second date is tummy flip-flops, and we could not, <laughs> we could not for the life of us figure out what the fuck that is supposed to mean, but what did it equate to? Oh,
2: and I, she also mentioned this while they were on their second date, but on the second date, she also establishes that that is when you share familial information. So you tell each other about each other's families. Yeah. So there's a scene where in, I think, less than two minutes, we learn all about Neo Verdalis' family and all about John Corbett's family. Because they just state it, (laughs) matter-of-factly.
0: But, you know, honestly, besides the stuff with... um the, her dad cheating on her mom, There's none of that stuff stuck with me. And I don't remember anything about John Corbett that is mentioned in that scene other than, like, he hates karaoke. <laughs> Wait, that's, no, that's, that's the next date. that's the third yeah.
2: date. Okay, so the second date, what they do for Tummy Flip Flops is they go to a art gallery opening, and this scene made me so angry. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, they go to this art gallery... Give some
0: of, context with his restaurant first. Because that... What do you mean? We're talking about the production design of his of of Get on Tapas, which the first off the name of Get on Tapas is in Comic Sans.
2: Oh my god, can you imagine going past a restaurant nowadays, and the banner outside the restaurant is in Comic Sans? <laughs>
0: like a permanent <laughs> sign, yeah.
2: And it's supposed to be like a high-class restaurant. It's a they tapas
0: have, place.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's
2: a tapas place, and it's like, get on tapas in Comic Sans. They couldn't even afford another font. You can literally go on dafont.com, highly recommend, by the way, and download free fonts <laughs> from artists.
0: But was that available in 2009? Yes! All right.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. But,
0: yeah, Wingdings would have been more authoritative than... Yeah, because (laughs) then people
2: would have thought the restaurant was ethnic, at least. (laughs) 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 Okay, so inside of Get on Tapas, there is wine racks full of fake wine, and then on the walls, there's wine art, and it's just, like, printouts of close-up photos of wine, either in a bottle or in a glass, or grapes or you know it's like when you go to subway and they have close-up shots of tomatoes it's like why why Is this supposed to make me think, oh, I should get a sandwich with tomatoes on it? The only reason you look at the art at Subway is because you've already eaten your sandwich. Or you're you're,
0: waiting for your sandwich.
2: Or you're waiting for your sandwich. Or you're so bored during your lunch break that you're like, well, I got to stay here for another 20 minutes. Might as well look at the art around me. Nobody's going to Subway for the art. No. (laughs) The people at this tapas bar are clearly not going for the art. And so uh, I have no idea what kind of food that tapas bar no serving. they
0: never show food <laughs> ever once. the preparation of food they never show plates of food they never show like a As guy a, carrying there's a, food
2: there's a guy that, at the opening there's a guy who is he's got like a platter but he's handing out shots yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's not even handing out appetizers he's, he's like well just get wasted in my tapas bar where you don't eat tapas
0: maybe each like plate is a plate with a bunch of shot glasses on it. That's the small plates.
2: I'd go to that tapas Small fire. plates
0: of liquor. Uh, but, I guess chat, that... chat tapas? But, so the second date
2: now. Okay, so the second date they go to this art gallery opening. They, all the walls are covered in curtains. And then this angry looking woman, white woman, comes <laughs> out and says I, I can't remember what she says, but she says something like, thank you for coming. Now enjoy this this opening.
0: Something along... Yeah, it's like, the art is available. <laughs> like, very, oh. like... Like, she's like the stereotypical harsh artist caricature that always appears in these sorts of movies.
2: Yeah, because artists are never happy people. No,
0: they always have black hair, and they wear gray, and, <laughs> and they they're have really And they
2: have really harsh bangs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, this angry artist gallery owner she reveals the curtains and it's these white canvases these stark white canvases and they have monochromatic dots on the canvas in different places so the first one they look at is called manifest destiny and it's got a yellow circle with like a uh, or no it's a red circle with a red line next to it
0: yeah and then the next one is called Railroad, and it's a b- completely blank... It's just a blank, completely
2: blank white canvas.
0: And then there was another one...
2: It's ba- And as Paolo yeah. called this date, it's the art is stupid date.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's like, the whole point of it, it, like, even at the end, she's like, did you hate that? And he's like, I did hate it. I'm glad you hated it, too. And they, like, bond over how much they, they hate don't, it.
2: They don't hate Valentine's Day. They hate art. But like, God, that's a higher uh, analogy for this movie.
0: I hate art. Yeah,
2: I hate art. <laughs> <laughs> but that just—I hate the stereotype that you go to an art gallery and you're just gonna hate everything in it,
0: or that just like art is
2: like—it's—it's it's not comprehensible.
0: Yeah, it just, every time they do this, they always do the shorthand, because I totally get it. I love art, and I've I totally to get it. i some bad
2: art openings. And, like, even there's major,
0: super successful artists like Rothko, and even you can send this to Warhol, where you look at your their stuff, and if you aren't informed about what art is or what art can be, you're like, oh, what is this bullshit? Mike could, could paint that. It's that uh, whole idea. When I,
2: when I went to the Met with my parents when I was in high school, uh, I remember them and my brother wandering around the Modern Wing. Going, I could do that. I could do that. Like um uh Ellsworth Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. His stuff. I mean it's not that complicated, but the whole point is that he made it before anyone else.
0: Yeah, someone, someone <laughs> did it, and sometimes art isn't necessarily about it's art isn't like a wood carving where it's about the intricacy of it every time. It's about the effect it has on you. Yeah. Like it's Ellsworth
2: all... Kelly's work is really about the momentousness. Or, I know that's not a word, but...
0: Or like Rothko. Rothko City, I Rothko say. will paint like a red square inside a brown square. And yeah, if you are like... If you don't like art, then that's like a fucking huge waste of your time and money to look at it. But if you...
2: But it took him months to paint that. And it, he it was, has
0: an effect. Even if you don't necessarily have the vocabulary to analyze and understand that effect, when you enter a room that is empty versus you enter a room and a Rothko's in it, That is the artistic experience. And and we
2: should say, I'm not trying to defend the art that was in this movie. No,
0: this is, it's bad art in the movie, but it's unrealistically bad art. That, it's, it's not like...
2: It's trying to make the point that art is is stupid. Yeah,
0: it's like you go on a date with someone to a dumb art gallery, like we all have, and you see dumb art, (laughs) like we all do. It's like very much, and... I guess we probably wouldn't be so hung up on this if it wasn't within a failed movie. (laughs) A movie where, like, framing and situating people within the shot seems to be, like, totally foreign concepts to its crew and director. But they, like, took time to be like, but... New York artists, they really don't know what they're doing, and their art is a joke. It's just like, don't... It's its the same thing we talked yeah, about with... Yeah, but- maybe it's
2: more of like a slam on New York artists than artists in general. I don't well, know. Well, it's,
0: it's like the thing... It's a discussion... It's a variation of the discussion we had with Butterfly Effect when they had seven inside of Butterfly Effect. You don't... Put something in your movie that draws attention to how stupid your movie is. Yeah. Like, you just don't do that. If you, th- like, if there's a chance that you're taking a holier-than-thou stance with your movie, your movie's gotta be fucking airtight, because everyone will notice that stuff. It's
2: like, yesterday, when we watched The Player, and they referenced Bicycle Thieves. Yeah. Yeah. Like that that worked.
0: It's really great because the player is super fucking smart about what it's talking about. And the the idea of the bicycle thief in the player, allow me to get super nerdy about Altman for a second, <laughs> is this idea that You're
2: welcome. That
0: Hollywood is like the rich neighborhood and the art theater that's showing bicycle thief is like the slum neighborhood.
2: I think it's yeah. Pasadena. Yeah,
0: it's but it's like in, in that world it's like, oh I gotta go to the bad side of town <laughs> where they're showing bicycles thief. Ooh. And and of course a character gets murdered at, at, right outside the theater so it's like really just and it has that like horrible like red lighting on everybody it just like yeah. looks like the red light Pasadena is the red light district Well Come it is where it, yeah.
2: it is where the Rose Parade is every year
0: Alright well that's a famously a famously whorish parade <laughs>
2: <laughs> Okay so moving on to date number three.
0: The Adventure Estate.
2: This is the adventurous date, and he, uh, John. Uh, 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 John Corbett takes Neaverdalos. I
0: realize we've said their full names every time. <laughs> we've never called them by their character names. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I don't remember either of their character names. It's.
2: I don't remember John, because I can't call him just John. Yeah. Who cares? I
0: felt so weird when I called her Nia. I actually I was like Nia, that's Nia Long's name. I can't call Nia I can't call Nia right now, it's just Nia.
2: Oh and also Nia is short for Antonia.
0: Antonia? Yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because she's Greek. Oh yeah. Um, okay, so I guess we could call them by their first name. but in the movie her name is Genevieve and his name is <laughs> Greg! Greg! Yeah! Greg! Oh my god. That's that's terrible that we almost couldn't remember. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay, uh, let's commit now. Are we going to call them John and Nia or Greg and Genevieve?
0: It's going to be John and Nia. Let's <laughs> give it their full names. We're not going to remember. So let's just keep going.
2: Okay, so John Corbett <laughs> takes... I could just call him Aiden. Just keep going. <laughs> uh, John Corbett takes Nia to this restaurant called... Kamikaze, no, it's not, I don't know what it's called, it's but. It's
0: just a sushi sushi place.
2: Yeah, it's like a sushi place, but it's adventurous because he has never had sushi before. No,
0: it's because they're going to have sake bombs. Oh. So it's like, it's pretty lame. Yeah,
2: like, that's a terrible adventure. But
0: she is, of course, has her sort of like vacant grin on her face. So <laughs> She's like, like, oh, that's I great. guess she likes it, yeah.
2: But then, during their sake bombs, they find out that it's actually a Kamikaze karaoke restaurant. Where under everybody's seat is a number, and if your number gets called, you have to go up and sing a random song at the karaoke machine. And the karaoke machine is run by her real-life husband, who is Ian Gomez. If you watched Cougar Town, then you would know who he is. But otherwise, probably not. But anyway... They're watching all these people sing, like, Polly Doodle all the day and yeah, just like row,
0: row, row your boat. Like public domain <laughs> theater right here.
2: But then, uh, John Corbett's number gets called and Mia Rodalos is like, hey, go up, go up. And he's like, no, I can't. I, I can't. So...
0: And the restaurant chants, like, 33 for, like, a minute solid (laughs) as they have this conversation.
2: So finally she goes up, and of course she's the only person who doesn't sing a public domain song. Yeah.
0: And she sings it vaguely well. Like, everyone sings, like, counter to the melody of the song that they're actually supposed to sing. And then she comes up and actually, like, sounds good, and it's just... It's like this very, She sounds
2: like like she's actually at a karaoke bar.
0: It's a clear... It's like an uh, obviously self-flattering moment.
2: Yeah. Again, she's great. Yeah. So, she's singing a song and they cut to John Corbett and he can't sing the chorus back to her. And so, everyone in the restaurant chants, you suck, you suck, you suck. (laughs) And that's like the end of the date. That's the end of the adventurous date. Which, if that was... My adventurous date that the person I was with couldn't be adventurous. I don't know. I and, I think I might cut it at three dates. Yeah, and
0: they kind of they both kind of write that date off as a success too, which is like really weird.
2: I had so much fun.
0: Like, oh yeah, I, he took me to a place, and then he chickened out when this new thing happened, and then everyone said he sucked, and
2: we're going on another date
0: next week. Yeah.
2: <laughs> date number four. Okay, right. what happens on date number four, Paula? Date
0: number four, be fun and fabulous.
2: <laughs> God, could she be more vague in her date description? No, especially
0: because like it's so funny because they're all so vague and none of them have lined up what the actual date is in the movie.
2: You almost couldn't get that out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so on date number four, uh, I almost called him Aiden. Uh, John Corbett makes her dinner. Be fun. (laughs) And fabulous. So it's also their like three month anniversary of when they had their first date. So it is taking them three months to go on four dates. And from him making a dinner, they end up doing it. And then she spends the night two times.
0: AKA date number five, make it the best date ever. And then you say goodbye.
2: Yes, so she thinks that they only went on four dates because she counts making dinner and making Whoopi for two straight days as one date. Whereas John Corbett counts it as two dates because he's smarter or he understands her date structure better than she does. I don't know.
0: Yeah.
2: Anyway, so then there's this mix-up where Nia Verdales is waiting for him to call and he doesn't call and he ignores her and she doesn't understand what's going on so they have a confrontation and this is this again is what we were talking about where the movie implies that this dating structure has worked perfectly up until she started dating John Corbett. <laughs> yeah. How can that be the case? Like did she communicate thoroughly on her other five dates, what each date was. Like, okay, we have now completed date number four. We have one remaining date. Don't fuck it up. Like, what?
0: Or was she just, like, getting laid, like, crazy on these other dates? Where she just, like, meets a guy and he's awful. Yeah. And she just, like, uses him and then he at the end they leave and neither <laughs> of them like each other. And so it's easy <laughs> to separate. Like
2: I, I wrote down a list of questions I had about the five date structure, like, Are they allowed to hang out outside of the five dates? Yeah. Because there are a couple times in the movie where she goes to visit him at his restaurant, and I was like, does that count as a date? Yeah,
0: because they're also super weird about it, too. And they're like, all right, I I wanted to hand you this thing.
2: All right, I'm going to leave. I'm (laughs) backing away now. (laughs) Yeah,
0: there's a lot of backing out of rooms.
2: Uh, And then, can they not talk after the five dates? Because John Corbett just completely stops talking to her. Yeah. He's like, well, we slept together, I made her dinner, done. <laughs> Over. Even though supposedly he's in love with her.
0: <laughs> Would that be called the Irish breakup?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's called uh, ghosting. 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 Ghosting boyfriend style. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know, Irish breakup's pretty good. Just,
0: yeah, it works. Um,
2: but, as Paulo pointed out while we were watching this, This works out as a really good deal for nearby. Really sweet, yeah. She basically tells a guy, hey, I want you to take me on five dates. She doesn't pay for anything. She gets presents and gifts and free dinners and adventures. And then she might get some sex. And that's it. Yeah.
0: She's...
3: She the, washes her
2: hands.
0: The rules are entirely dictated by her. And like we said, everyone seems to follow them. So it's And that everyone like,
2: thinks it's a good idea and that she's great.
0: And so at no point is it like, oh, I have to convince this guy to go along with it because it'll be worth it. It's like, no. ever. it just the world genuinely revolves around her up until... The the end of her fifth date. I started
2: like halfway through the movie. I started writing down a list of compliments that she gets. I couldn't even write them all down because she gets so many. But she, at one point, John Corbett says, "You're good," and she says, "Who told you?" And then he says, "That's so thoughtful of you." And he says, "You're so upbeat. You're fun. You're easygoing." And then her friends say. She's fearless and different. I'd be lost without her. We all would. Like, that's just a handful of compliments that she gets about herself that she wrote in the screenplay.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's too, it's, she, no, she doesn't really have complex relations with any of these people. And so some of these people that compliment her I'll fully amount to like people on the street, like for our purposes, strangers are <laughs> like, yeah. you're
2: a beautiful lady. Yeah, I like your buns. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so after the five dates and this miscommunication, Nia Vardalos falls into a depression? She's never really sad.
0: She just looks, like, agitated.
2: Yeah, like she's like, why isn't my five-date structure working? She's,
0: like, agitated with, like, vague sleepiness. <laughs> it's like, so the emotion. Well, because
2: she can't do anything but smile, so you yeah. never really know what she's... <laughs> do yeah. making a face.
0: It's like, it's like one eye is slightly closed, one eye is like way too open, and then she has a grin. Like, <laughs> that's her variation for the, like the back part of the movie when things aren't going her way. <sighs> and, but, and also, uh, when she's starting to realize that this plan isn't working out her like strategy, Everyone still likes her. Everyone still supports her. And
2: And everyone's still trying to do the five-date structure for themselves.
0: Well, and also everyone else, they're like, she's having a hard time and he's having a hard time. And they just are too stupid to make it work. So we're going to do all the work for them and make their relationship work because... Because
2: they can't figure out how to talk to each other. Yeah.
0: Like, this...
2: Ugh, we as so much. In the
0: history of dumb romantic comedies, this has to be one of the most easily resolvable third acts. Yeah,
2: no conflict.
0: There's like the third the conflict is that they both like each other, but they both, for no clear reason, feel obliged to maintain these like dumb ass rules. (laughs) Especially since one of them created the rules, and she doesn't like them, and she's like, no, I can't, I can't say I'm wrong. <laughs> well no, God forbid. And, and the guy's like, well, I can't, I can't annoy her by saying I... I really love I spending time with her. I
2: still like her, but it's her rules. Gotta, gotta play by the rules.
0: <laughs> She's like, is that thing about being needy, where he's like, he's like talking to his waiter, and he's like, "What would, would it be too needy if I called her and said like, hey, what about a, a doing a date outside of the five, like a sixth date?'" And his, his,
2: he's God like, forbid, the waiter
0: swears at him. I like, uh, uh, he calls him a pendejo. <laughs> 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 I miss the rest of the, the, the Spanish. And it's just like. Such weird like this is it's like yes do that
2: okay well and then in like the last 20 minutes they introduce her mom and they introduce that her dad cheated on her mom and they try to resolve that issue
0: well okay and really quickly a question with that when did the dad cheat on the mom Uh, It had to have been years ago, right?
2: Yeah, but I'm thinking, like, maybe five to ten. Well, has she been
0: dodging his calls for five to ten years? That's like, because it says, like, she's like, I can't talk to my dad ever since he cheated on my mom.
2: And no offense to her dad, but he's no hottie.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, he, I, look, and after a while, I was just trying to figure out, like.
2: Well, and that's, that's the crazy thing I was talking about earlier, where. She goes to meet her dad for the first time in however many years. And the first, he says, it's great to see you. And she says, dad, you shouldn't have cheated on mom. And he says, that's really none of your business.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> like a great first conversation.
0: And he also calls her every holiday. So it creates this like really sad part of the movie where there's this like, guy who's like the best <laughs> for five years, calls his daughter every holiday to be like, I yeah I cheated on your mom. I still love you. Please like you know have... like that one phone call where he's like, "Am I even calling the right number anymore? <laughs> did I even say that I'm your dad?" <laughs> like, it just, it's so it's so sad and it's so terrible. It really speaks to how terrible this movie is that I feel the most sympathy for the adulterer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm laughing more now than I did during the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh my god. Okay, so she goes and talks to her dad and resolves all these years of her not wanting to deal with the fact that sometimes relationships end. So then she realizes, maybe I should do something to win John Corbett back. So her sidekicks tell her, why don't you woo him? And she's like, okay. So she bakes him some muffins. She sends him ranger tickets. There was something else she sent his way. I can't remember. And he, he just... Simpsons has, DVDs. Simpsons DVDs. <laughs> that's what it was. And... It's like, what else do guys like? And he sends her a thank you note.
0: And then that strange black woman <laughs> who only exists to yell at John Corbett twice. I
2: tried to look her up and she doesn't have a name, so I don't know who she is in the credits.
0: There was no like dog walker character (laughs) she's she's always walking a dog john corbett always sees her outside the first time he's like he gets out of a taxi and she says like my bowels are complicated love isn't (laughs) something like that (laughs) and then um the later after he sends that thank you card it cuts to him talking with her and she's saying like You send her a thank you card. You gotta do more than that, and then she like walks away. It's something basically along those lines, but just this mysterious uh, character where they forgot to give him a likable friend. They only give him that like drunk asshole friend.
2: That (laughs) was (laughs) another thing that was like, oh yeah, men are such dicks because they're lawyers that only care about getting some, and And
0: they don't listen to each other. Men don't don't talk. No, they don't
2: listen. There's a oh, I wish I could remember one of the things that. He just completely ignores, but...
0: Well, and they do all that, like, men don't listen. And then they have, like, tons of men who listen in the background. But they're like, but yeah, men don't listen.
2: Okay, so she makes some other stuff. Finally, he has a, a conversation with his friend where he says, yeah, men are stupid. And John Corbett's like, hmm, men are stupid. I should be stupid. And so he goes to the homeless guy and... In the neighborhood.
0: A homeless guy who, earlier, uh, Neil Vardalos is, like, goes to meet up with John Corbett and sees him leave his restaurant with a woman yeah. by his side, and it's, it's nobody, but it's just, she thinks he's dating somebody, so she steps back to be out of sight, and she is somehow standing on a homeless man who is awake, <laughs> like, just laying on the ground being like, oh, just being stood on, and she's, like, standing on his, like, ribs with f- both feet, full body weight. Yeah. But they go, they go back to this homeless So the guy.
2: homeless guy has all this stuff in his car, and John Corbett's like, I'll buy some of this stuff. And the guy said, "The homeless guy's like, I want a, a two weeks' worth of free tapas. Yeah. <laughs> and they just, like,
0: raid this guy's cart. Just start taking stuff. Just, like, yeah, just... It's not like he needs that stuff as a homeless guy, but...
2: (laughs) So Nia Verdalos, Zoe Kazan calls her and says, Hey, come out to the window. And all her friends and everyone she knows is in the street. And John Corbett's like, Nia Verdalos, I love you. Here's an an antique stool and a one-shouldered dress and jazz music. Because I know you hate all of those things and they scare you. And I'm scared of this. And then he starts singing the karaoke song that she was singing at the restaurant in the street.
0: And then everyone, because all of her friends are there, which actually I was thinking about, because all of her friends form this giant heart and she comes inside. Oh, yeah.
2: yep. And the
0: movie's basically over. But I was thinking about it. And yeah, it, was like, it fades from how there. How many friends does she have where they can form that giant heart? Cause well, it looks like there
2: were at least 40.
0: It's more than the number of characters who speak in the movie up to that point. <laughs> That's true. It's like, yeah, it's 40 or 50 people. And again, though, it's just like uh, uh, continuing to underline everybody loves her. This is like the most beloved and it's woman like the middle in of, New
2: York. Oh, yeah. And also, it's the middle of the night on Valentine's Day. And everyone so has every, time for her. Yeah, nobody else has Valentine's plans. Everybody's like, sure, John Corbett, I'll show up last minute in the street and surprise Nia Verdallo's.
0: Yeah. But then, yeah, that's pretty... It ends there, yeah. So,
2: Paolo and I were trying to decide which ending was worse, this ending or Trainwreck's ending, where Amy Schumer does her cheerleading thing, and... We decided Trainwreck's ending was worse.
0: Trainwreck's is worse. This is bad because it's just super hokey, super dumb. Because the lesson that Neveřádals's character learns in this doesn't—it doesn't doesn't really matter. Because what she should learn is that she should date differently. But she has the man that presumably, based on the way the movie sets up, she's going to spend the rest of her life with. So she didn't really. What that doesn't. She didn't learn anything. She didn't learn anything. And Jen Corbett. Didn't really learn anything other than, no. like, to love love again. <laughs> That's, like, about it. And then other... I
2: think what he learned was to exploit connections.
0: Yeah. This has... It has, like, that sort of Shakespearean element where everybody just gets randomly paired off with people. Uh, Zoe Kazan ends up with John Ralfio, uh, who, <laughs> <laughs> who his, his like, he's only in one scene. He doesn't even uh, show up for the scene where they form the heart, but he's in this one, like... Actually, it's probably only, like, one shot of the movie. I think it's the
2: New Year's Eve scene. Yeah, it's
0: the New Year's Eve scene. He probably has, like, 10, 15 seconds of screen time... Jean but he Ralphio has some lines. John Ralford from Parks and Rec. But she, Zoe Kazan shows him the collage that he made that she made of his face, and he loves it. And then he gives her a gift where it's like her face. Uh, yeah,
2: it's like a baby picture of her in a paperweight.
0: But it's like magnified, and then they start making out. And then Mike Starr starts dating Neva Vardalis' mom, and um, that which leads to her making some sort of very silly noise, like, mm, or whatever. <laughs> it was like this. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> uh, yeah, just like uh, Jason Manzuke gets like a random girl, but she never Rachel speaks. Dratch
2: gets random girl. A ra-
0: no, he she gets Some a really man. guy, random. sorry.
2: He just looked like he was wearing a lot of blush.
0: He looked like an extra in a Ken Loach movie. So he looked he oo burn. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then Jennifer Lander gets a random girl. So everybody's paired up except for Nia.
0: But she'll be paired up eventually.
2: <sighs> okay. So I looked up this movie on IMDb, mm-hmm. there was only one piece of trivia for this movie. What was it? Do you want to try and guess? No,
0: I'm not going to be able to guess.
2: Okay, only one piece of trivia. Usually, even for like bad movies, there's like five pieces of trivia, and it's yeah. usually stupid things like, the European title for this movie is da-da-da, but there was only one piece of trivia, and the piece of trivia was that John Corbett... And Nia Verdalos had worked together before in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. That was the trivia! It wasn't anything about the movie! Does
0: IMDb just let anyone submit any trivia for any reason?
2: I don't know. Because
0: it's really starting to seem like that because... If if there's only one piece of trivia in your trivia section and it's not trivia, it's just like, hey, people who like each other work together. Then someone should delete that. Someone like a, a trivia doesn't really matter. But come on, we gotta have a bar for this. Shit. Yeah.
2: Well, that's like when you read through like Jake Gyllenhaal's trivia. And it says who he's dating, but you have to read through all his trivia because he's dated so many different people and they haven't updated who he's dating at any given time.
0: Yeah, they just (laughs) pop it on the end. Well, and another thing I've noticed is that a lot of delusional losers uh, run their own IMDb pages where they write their own bios and stuff, and people will add their own personal quotes to their quotes. Yeah, quote you section. already told <laughs> me about the one. It's so, it happens so much. So it's like a truly, IMDb is a Wild West sort of scenario. I highly recommend if you're a struggling actor, uh, writer, director, to sign up for a paid IMDb Pro account, and you can join these people in decking out your IMDb page with fictional accomplishments. Yeah,
2: add what awards you got in kindergarten. And uh, trivia
0: about uh, when you tripped your tooth uh, when you were six years old. (laughs) Everyone needs to know that stuff.
2: Uh, Also, I Hate Valentine's Day had a $3 million budget. In its opening weekend, it made (laughs) $5,000. Oh my god. (laughs) But as of 2013, it had made back its budget. So it only took four years, (laughs) but it made back its budget. (laughs) So, is it a total loss? I don't know.
0: We watched something, actually, tying into the IMDb trivia thing, we watched, I think it was Savages. Yeah. Uh, We watched the the really great movie, Savages, by Tamara Jenkins, and I'm pretty sure one of its IMDb pieces of trivia was, made back its budget in one month. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is, like, not trivia. It's not something you can brag... You don't brag about that, but it's also not unusual. It's yeah. just, like, like okay, a totally normal thing happened for a movie that most people weren't going to go see.
2: <laughs> well, and you kept talking about how this movie is, like, the room.
0: Oh, yeah. I do want to talk about that. Well, okay. I'm going to combine this with just some flower-related observations, because there's, like, a, a whole bunch of room, room things and flower things that I'm just going to... To do here, then I'm kind of out of notes. Okay, so as we mentioned, Nia Vardalos works. Uh, she runs a flower shop, and a thing I, I th- think
2: it was called Roses Are Forever or something uh, like yeah, that,
0: or yeah, Flowers by Rose, or it, it, it was some, it was something. Rose um, was almost definitely in the title, yeah. Um, but she, in the early going of the movie, it's like the first half an hour. There's like tons of times where they talk about flowers, and then that kind of fades out, but. Early on, when she she goes to John Corbett's restaurant for the first time, and we notice that in there he's like still hasn't finished like putting up walls and stuff, and there's like no fixtures, but all of his table chab- tables and chairs for the restaurant have been delivered and are in there. Um, he's talking about setting up, and she says like out of nowhere, like he does not ask her. There's nothing in the conversation uh, other than he's like, "Yeah, I'm just setting up the restaurant." And she's like, "Oh yeah, well I can take care of your flowers for you," and he's like. Flowers? I I didn't budget for flowers. And she's like, she goes into this, like, awful monologue about how flowers will basically make people stay there longer, and they'll order more drinks, and more people will bring their girlfriends there, and he will be rich just because of her flowers, and he responds with like, flowers do all that? And it's this dumb scene, but it's like somehow they're like, their first scene of like real flirting has to do with flowers.
2: Is that flirting in this movie? I, oh. I have to assume
0: so. There was no flirting during the flirting date, so I no. have to assume that was flirting. Um, but then immediately after that scene, she's walking and she's on the phone with her mom, and her mom is telling her about somebody who died. And she goes, "I'll send some flowers." And so it's like two scenes in a row where she like s- just shoves her business into people's lives. So I was just like being like, "My flowers, my flowers will solve everything." Uh, but then later we were talking about the first date with John Corbett John Corbett almost chickens out and doesn't it almost doesn't ask her to go on the date but she sees a note in his back pocket and steals it from him and the note oh reads, my god
2: I totally <laughs> forgot about this he,
0: he wrote a note for her that says roses are red violets are blue will you be my date to the opening of my restaurant I hope you do <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, that's poetry. That's
0: beautiful. But so that that whole thing with someone dying and the whole like it just it's so it's because it's her mom talking about someone who's dying who doesn't matter. It's just like a thing that gets brought up out of nowhere, and they just me of just doesn't give a shit about it. Even after like right after it happens, she's like very quickly, it's like oh, I'm I'm going through a tunnel and ends the call or whatever, just ends the tunnel very. Uh, the call when she very says it, she goes
2: uh, bye-bye. Yeah. Uh, buh- 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 bye bye, bye bye, bye bye, bye bye, bye.
0: Yeah. <sighs> so like, this death is just kind of brushed off. So I started thinking about the room then when that happened. And then after that, it's not really as specific um, in terms of like the acting is way better and it's obviously uh, like the scenes are in higher focus, budget higher budget stuff like that. Actually, no, I don't <laughs> I think The Room did have a higher budget than this movie. Really? Yeah, I think The Room's budget was like 6 million.
2: No way! Yeah, it's
0: something like that because the room was shot on film and digital simultaneously.
2: <gasps> I didn't know. Yeah, that. Yeah, there's so
0: much crazy. You've only seen it once, so you really haven't appreciated how fucking no, nuts it is. But the big thing was that, and this is this is really bad because for the most, it's the movie isn't as bad, but <laughs> Nia Vardalos directs exactly the same way that Tommy Wiseau directs. <laughs> <laughs> and this the, the 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 thing that made me realize is that people. Enter and exit scenes, and scenes consequently are also structured the exact way uh, every conversation in, in the room is, where someone's in a place, and then someone shows up, and they talk about something, and then the other person leaves and so that scene- another person can come in and have a scene.
2: And then scene over.
0: Scene over. And then during that scene, no one does anything, they just kind of are like... Either very emptily doing like generic motion or most likely standing and just looking at each other. And so, so many scenes have this very alien quality to them, especially if Neo Dallas is in the scene where just like nothing is happening and people are like, all right, well, I said my two lines and so my scene is done and I'm gonna go. And then, someone and like, or there's even at least once where. John Corbett comes to talk to Nia Vardalos and the two gay guys are in the room and their blocking is to just go stand next to him as soon as he enters. And then Nia Vardalos has to spend like a minute with like doing this bit where she's trying to convince them to leave the room. Yeah. And like- The, the she, room. The room. Uh, Yeah, it just, it's, <laughs> it's really amazing. Like it's the type of thing, I complained about it more with the, the Second City Connection before, but it's just like, this movie had two editors and sometimes I just, wonder if that's exactly the reason they had two editors is they had to go through all this awkward footage and this like And just make it work. Just like just try to make it not so glaringly terrible. Like make the pacing something. Because if after a while, after enough scenes where everyone has to enter and exit every scene, the like that has to add about ten solid minutes to this movie. Yeah. And the movie is less than ninety minutes long already. So I can only imagine if they hadn't tried to like hide it as much as they did what a just an utter mess this movie would be like (sighs) yeah
2: the other thing i wanted to bring up from imdb is this movie has a 16 percent positive rating on rotten tomatoes it is in the top 200 worst films of all time as rated on rotten tomatoes yeah that's pretty that's pretty impressive
0: yeah because what we associate with like that level of like zero star rating is stuff like fucking Ballistics X versus Sever and uh, Dirty Girl, and
2: Birdemic,
0: Birdemic, yeah, and
2: uh, Shark and Saw,
0: yeah, <laughs> Shark and Saw, Prison Massacre. <laughs> but like, really, that's the thing—we're trashing romantic comedies, and yeah, romantic comedies are so bad. I mean, Catherine Heigl has made a career out of. Proving to us how bad romantic comedies are. Oh my gosh,
2: just the other day I was talking about 27 dresses. And the premise of the movie is that she has been in so many weddings as a bridesmaid that she has 27 bridesmaid dresses. But she never hangs out with any of those 27 friends during the movie. She only hangs out with Judy Greer, who is not married and whose wedding she hasn't been in. That movie makes no sense! Yeah,
0: it's... And, and that's really...
2: Well, I feel like there is a way to write a movie that is romantic and funny and still relatable. Oh,
0: absolutely. And even... It doesn't even necessarily have to be that relatable. Like, no! A, a good example of a movie that I kind of find romantic, and not overtly, it's not the point of it, but it has romance in it, while being actually kind of very unrelatable, is Metropolitan.
2: Oh, oh yeah! Like that, I thought, like, I thought for a second you were going to say Eternal Sunshine.
0: That that's like that that one's more complicated even than that. Yeah. But like Metropolitan, but I
2: would think of I think of Eternal Sunshine as like a romantic. Yeah, movie.
0: but in just terms of like straightforward romantic comedy, rom, uh, Metropolitan has much bigger stuff that it's trying to do. But the core romance between. Um, the main guy, I can't remember, it's not Nick, because Nick is Chris Eichmann, but um, Audrey and uh, the main character, Tom. Uh, It's like this very sweet, slowly developing, Tom is completely clueless, but it's clueless in a believable way, where he's just focused on the societal stuff that he doesn't notice this girl who, like, only pays attention to him. And she doesn't say anything because she's very quiet and sweet and shy in a believable way. And it's just like yeah. exactly believable that these two people would not notice what's going on. What
2: What would you say was the last good romantic comedy you saw in theaters?
0: In theaters? Fuck. Um, it's really t- tough because I can't even think of...
2: The, um, the, the one that came to my mind, which this was a couple of years ago, was Safety Not Guaranteed.
0: Yeah, but I don't even know if that would hold up anymore. I yeah. like, genuinely fear that I'm going to hate that movie next time we watch yeah. it. Um, yeah, I really don't know. It's one of those things that, for me, the movies where the romantic element works best, it tends to be movies that are smart enough to not be entirely about romance. Yeah. And that's, I'm really having trouble, I mean, like, looking around the room right now <laughs> trying to see if I, like, see something that will trigger a memory of like a good yeah i can't think like i mean we watch hopscotch and hopscotch has like the very like sweet silly but it's not romantic it's just like they it's already established we're not it's not about it's more of a spy movie than the romance it's so tough but what i was building up to before was just that even still how is it this hard for us to think of a good romantic comedy how is it possible for someone to make with three million dollars, this lazy of a romantic comedy as I hurt as I hate Valentine's Day, it shouldn't be this difficult. There's been decades of this, and it's the easiest genre. Maybe got boy meets girl, girl meets boy. Uh, they or, or even if you're gonna do the artsy version of it, you just have to focus on believable real details. And
2: actually, you know what? Uh... This is more of a romance movie than a comedy, but Carol was really great.
0: Carol, okay, yeah, there we go. I would say Carol was a great romance. Yeah. Because you could actually...
2: Definitely not a comedy.
0: Definitely not a comedy, but the the romance is there, and it's very romantic. Yeah. Because the movie is not... It's about... the, The entire thing about Carol is it's getting into lesbian romances in an era where that was basically illegal uh like the law did not support support you uh was do everything basically to punish you for it and so their romance has to be suggested very subtly and they still like going through that work of like this could be the end of everything in my life but i still love you and it's still worth that risk and that subtle way it's like i can't publicly do a bunch but i want to give you a little sign that i still love you that is super romantic and, yeah, and, like, you could do that funny. You could do the funny version of, not funny version of Carol, but, like, funny version of serious romance. Because, it like, romance is, like, the process of falling in love is still so difficult, and no one does it the same way, and everyone has to learn, and so everyone has to make a ton of mistakes. And so it should be something that everyone has this, like, basin of reference points too
2: well, yeah and it should be a little messy it but, should be messy but this movie's messy not because of the romance
0: well that's what i'm saying is like how can it be this bad how can it be this hard to write this movie like at very least it should be easy to hit like three out of five stars super generic romantic comedy yeah it should be that every romantic comedy should at least be able to hit the thing of like whatever i didn't really laugh I didn't hate this. Like, uh, even, like, um, this is still not a good movie, but 13 going on 30 is a better romantic comedy than this. It's still shitty, but, like, it's closer to hitting that bar of, like, yeah, you still watch it and you can enjoy it. Yeah. And you'd be like, this is dumb. I laugh at it, but I was not a total waste of time. It does help that
2: Mark Ruffalo's in that one. Yeah,
0: Mark Ruffalo, who's, like, doing way too serious of a performance. But, uh, it's, Yeah. yeah, so it's, like...
2: How and Judy Greer's in that one too. Judy
0: Greer, yeah, that's her thing. That's her typecast thing. Is she like the
2: sidekick friend?
0: Because she's also sidekick friend in um no, I'm, never mind, I'm thinking of something else. Uh, but I we I, <laughs> because we're having trouble thinking of other newer examples. I can't really think of like what the current state of the romantic comedy is or the romantic movie, but. It seems to be one of those things that, like...
2: I don't think they're getting funded as much.
0: No, because they're just terrible for so long, and this... Or,
2: actually, you know what the state of the romantic comedy is, and I I don't think it... I think it's more the romantic movie than the romantic comedy, is Nicholas Sparks.
0: Yeah, there you go. All
2: of his movies are getting greenlit, but But, they're not comedies. Well,
0: and I hate to say it this way, because I don't want to say I think anything relating to Nicholas Sparks is good... But that's closer to what I'm talking about of, like, here, here's the bar for what is a romantic movie. And it's like a... Nicholas Sparks movies at this point are just totally worthless because you know what it is going into it. Yeah. But... It's at least But a, I
2: I still I watched The Notebook on my way home from Paraguay and I wept
0: yeah, on the plane.
2: It, it, I wept because on the
0: plane. there is a way to make this. There is are a way, ways to like throw together a movie where even if it's not a good movie it's like it's a movie yeah, and this and like
2: It still gives it an emotional response.
0: Stuff like this sh- like it shouldn't be possible to write something with this alien of a point of view and not have anybody be like,
2: well, I don't think anybody
0: can relate to this. So is
2: that your teachable moment that collaboration needs to be more included in romantic comedies? Well, I guess if you
0: don't have anything else to no, add to No,
2: I've, I've been trying for the last, like, five minutes to think of what my teachable all moment right, well, is. i will
0: going kind to of get into it because I brought up The Office before with Mike Starr and... This movie, to me, has always struck me as if uh, Mindy Kaling's character on The Office, Kelly Kapoor, wrote a movie for herself to be in, it would be this movie. (laughs) It's like, like, that character is... So John
2: Corbett is Ryan?
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) John Corbett is Ryan, who's this guy who, like, in her deluded mind, like, loves her and is just all about her and thinks all about her and would do anything for her. And who knows what the reality is like in Nia Vardalis' life, but... There's just so much delusion to it and there's nothing wrong with putting yourself in a like I, they call it the Mary Sue. That's like the the shorthand for it is when you write something and you put yourself in it in a way that's like like a wish fulfillment for yourself. And it's kind of like that, but I don't necessarily. Why do they
2: call it the Mary Sue?
0: I don't know. It's an internet thing. Oh, you can look okay. into it. But it's I, there's situations where it could be fine. And Google Honestly, it. most most writers when they write something, they they think of themselves and they write kind of around themselves which is fine, but you have to at least have the decency to not write yourself as this, like, perfect person who everybody loves who doesn't need to really learn anything just needs someone to finally settle down and be the perfect person for them and also everything works out. Like it's just, it's stupid and if you're also going to do something about how perfect and great you are then God damn it, your movie has to be super solid. It has to be really solid and really tight and that's why like Agnes Varda can make a movie about herself and her opinions because she has <laughs> well thought out opinions and it's not all about how great she is but it's about, like, yeah, this is kind of the mental world I live in. And you may agree, you may not, but here's how I see well, it. Well,
2: she has humility.
0: She has humility, yeah. And it's, like, there's, that's, I guess, again, really frustrating. She, ha- neither else has not succeeded enough to make this vein of a project. What was
2: it you said that Nathan <laughs> Raven said about this movie?
0: You was saying that the adventurous date was anal. That was, <laughs> that was all he said about <laughs> <on> the movie. <laughs>
2: His review for this movie was, like, my big, fat, narcissistic movie.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There's a really great My Year of Flops uh, write-up of this movie, too, which I would recommend. Uh, anything by Nathan Raven. But, yeah, that's really the main takeaway for me is just, like, this is a great example of what a total oblivious indulgence looks like. Yeah. Like, some, like, more so than anything on the filmmaking level, she is able to make a movie this sloppy because she's indulging herself or someone is letting her indulge herself because in a hollywood system no one would have let something that like looks this sloppy and has this shaggy of a plot yeah. get through unless they had just basically someone who was like no i say that Mia dollars gets to make whatever she wants however she wants well it. and
2: this again was independently funded yeah because she couldn't get people to fund it like studios didn't want anything to do with it
0: and so somebody was like we're gonna get make that sweet uh big fat greek wedding money by just supporting her and they, were well, just they like, recoup- do your do they, your thing and yeah, they she-
2: recouped their losses within four years
0: <laughs> yeah jeez. she did her thing but this if this is what her thing is then okay um i guess one last little ramble on this note and i'll let you go but this is what Richard Kelly's problem is. Richard Kelly, who did oh, Donnie yeah. Darko and Southland Tales, and the box. I, I don't want to make this, i don't want to make this sound like I'm just picking on this woman uh, for making this romantic comedy about herself. This is a a thing every artist of every field does, uh, which is it totally indulge themselves. And some people are very great, uh, and so when they indulge themselves, like I'll give an example, would be like Paul Thomas Anderson. Who, when he indulges himself, makes something like Magnolia. <laughs> and uh, but like Richard Kelly is like the perfect parallel to her because his first movie, Donnie Darko, is is like uh, Donnie it's Darko great. is great. It's I I'm, I don't like Big Fat Greek Wedding, but I at least think that people saw it as great yeah. when it came out. But Big Fat Greek Wedding has like has, it's an indie movie, but it has a lot of people. Tom Hanks is one of the producers on. It.
2: Yeah, and so it has well like, Rita Wilson and, bought the rice
0: and, for it and Rita Wilson too and so it has people who have experience who are behind the scenes being like yeah like let's shape this and let's do this it's and they, it doesn't she never else is not directing it so there's a team a bunch of people putting these suggestions in Richard Kelly Donnie Darko uh, as he would have edited it, it sucks. If you watch it, we actually, I remember really, I love Donnie Darko, and I had a, f- a friend who had never seen it, and so we rented it to show him, and we rented the director's cut, and he like couldn't even understand why we liked yes. Donnie Darko, because it's so different. And Southland Tales and The Box, which are Richard Kelly movies where Richard Kelly more or less just got to do what he wanted, are mind-boggling in terms of, like, what, like, they're just... These, like, bad messes. God, and messes. the box
2: could have been so good. Yeah. It could have been so good and it's so bad.
0: Within 20 minutes in the box, you are exhausted because he just, like, cannot stop indulging himself with, like, well, let's put it in water rectangles. Is he? And, look, like, Cameron Diaz is missing part of her foot, just like my mom. And <laughs> his dad works for NASA, just like my dad. And Frank Manly <laughs> is from Mars. And it's still the original Twilight Zone thing. It's like, just fucking stop it. Someone needs to tell you these are bad ideas. And someone needs to tell Neopardala that these were bad ideas, and no is, one did.
2: Is he in director jail?
0: I believe so, yes. Yeah. We're very fair enough.
2: Yeah, Geez. Ugh.
0: All right, so I rambled for that in a while. Uh, do you have a final thought yet?
2: <laughs> I guess my final thought is I am pro-romantic comedies, and as we have demonstrated, I can't remember the last time I saw a really good one. And... Look, I don't mind being lied to about how romance exists in the real world, but at least make it with characters who are developed, who have realistic issues, who don't understand how relationships work, not in a stupid way where if they had just communicated to each other, then everything would be fine, but like a real way where when you're in a relationship, shit happens and sometimes you don't know how to deal with it with the other person and that is much more interesting and relatable to watch than kate hudson being like well he uh, placed a bet that he could win my heart and he did but he only won my heart because it was a bet nobody can relate to that <laughs> nobody can fucking and also why is every romantic comedy Female lead work at a newspaper or a magazine or an editorial or uh, whatever. I mean, even in Trainwreck, she worked at a, a magazine. Yeah. Or like, wasn't it a magazine? It was something like that. She was some kind of journalist.
0: It's, well, with all that stuff, it's because, like, we as a culture would rather consume romance as a fantasy where it's like oh yeah things can work out you'll find you'll be in your dream job and you'll find your dream person and no one wants to deal with the the reality which honestly seems so much more charming to see as a movie of like, eh, is not perfect and you just guess, happen to meet this like other goofy person who you like don't realize it but you like slowly fall in I a, guess
2: I'll, I'll say Bridesmaids is a great romantic Bridesmaids, comedy. Bridesmaids, yes. And I was just thinking Waitress is also and Waitress. Yeah, a both really are great good. romantic comedy. Because again, those are more much more relatable characters. Yeah. Like... Kristen Way is a failed baker and she has to live with her mom. And the waitress is married to a terrible guy and she uses, uh, well, I guess they both have to do with baking, but.
0: Yeah, weird. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which is not universally relatable for all women, but, but
0: it's, it's a getting your hands dirty job. And that's more relatable where you're like, I do something where I work and I am just, I'm working. When I yeah. do the thing I do, I have to work. And other people are like, well, I go to my office and I, I hand a piece of paper to my secretary and they take care of, it's like, what fucking person who wants to see a dumb romantic comedy is like, oh yeah, that's my life. <laughs> that's what I do all day.
2: Nobody, I guess. No.
0: I'm in, I mean, I could Or I guess you. everybody. Everyone. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> yeah.
2: So I, that's my convoluted suggestion or final thought is I wish romantic comedies were about real people, in unrealistic unre- romantic situations.
0: <laughs> or if it's gonna, if you're gonna go crazy with it, then like. Charlie Kaufman it like make yeah. it so that the like Given the, depth the strangeness weirdness. is is part of the 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 fun. Like if you already have like a high concept like gimmick, the lobster, yeah, like the lobster. Uh, if you have a, a gimmick in I hate Valentine's Day or like a, a, a I hate Valentine's Day esque gimmick where it's like oh I only do five dates, then like use that gimmick to explore the realities mean, of They don't
2: get into that at all, really.
0: It's just like this, like, parallel universe movie. Just, it doesn't, it doesn't take place on Earth. And it just it doesn't, that's why it doesn't work.
2: Not reliable for us, huh? Right, Paula?
0: Right, we're we're great. High five! <laughs> all right, well, I guess that's it. <laughs> this I is think
2: a, we ended on a high note.
0: Yes, we did. A high High romantic, five note. note. Uh, This has been The Secret Cinema. I'm Paolo.
2: I'm Carrie.
0: Thanks for listening. The Secret Cinema is produced and edited by Paulo Groen. All theme songs were performed and recorded by Ricardo Ortiz. Any additional music or samples come from the film covered on this week's episode. All logos and artwork created by Carrie Chayden. You can follow Carrie on Instagram at CarrieSawThis and see more of her artwork at www.carrychafey.com You can watch Paolo's short films at video.com slash or read more of his ramblings about film at letterbox.com slash Secret Cinema is a commentary and criticism and its use of film dialogue and film music for illustrative purposes falls under the fair use provisions of U.S. copyright. law. Thanks again for listening.